going on, everybody? Our guest this week is Nathan Weaver, who happens to have the illustrious job of being the drummer in most of my projects. Nathan, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. This is not your first episode, though. You've you've definitely popped in on a couple of other ones. We did that uh, that green room chat that one time, and yes, it popped up on one or two others. Yeah. So for those uh, people who don't know you and don't know your relationship to uh, to members only, can you give uh, everybody out there kind of a brief introduction on what you do, uh, how you came to start playing music in the first place, and how you ended up uh, playing with us? Uh, so, so long story short, started playing when I was three, uh, played in the marching band in high school, got my start playing in church like most musician, mu- musicians in the South do. Uh, then went to college, got a degree in music, moved to Atlanta, played in an original rock band, got out of that for a while, uh, and then hooked up with uh, our old sound guy, Ben, uh, who then told me about you guys, and you guys had a, a, a vacancy uh, that needed to be filled for a show. And I, I took that audition, so to speak, and have been with you guys now for five years. That's right. So uh, where did you go to school for music? Belmont. And you got like a real live music degree. I got my degree in beating things. <laughs> <laughs> so coming from the other end, Ben had already started working with us and we had a really great drummer who, like the one before him, opted to move to Nashville. I think we got you the right way because we got you after you had gone to Nashville and come back. Yeah. <laughs> Both you and I had served our nickel in Nashville playing music. So Yes. <laughs> what was your experience uh, playing up there? So I can tell you what not to do in Nashville. So the the small town that I grew up in, in Mississippi, uh, I was one of the very few drummers uh, around there. The problem when I got to Nashville is I relied on talent to get me gig instead of just who I was. You know, I didn't really spend a lot of time in the bars. I didn't really make myself known or make myself visible. I, and I really just kind of stayed loyal to the one girl that I was playing for. And she was good. Um, but I was kind of afraid that maybe if I went to this artist or this other artist, that well, if she got big and somebody else was playing for her, what would happen to me? So looking back now, I, I should have just played with as many people as I can, just gone out, networked. Uh, but I just kind of hunkered in my uh, dorm room or apartment and just expected people to hear me play and go, hey, come be our drummer. And that's not how that scene works really not up there or anywhere for that matter yeah i think it's 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 much more the case uh in nashville because there's no lack of talent in that town correct (laughs) yeah you know the guy who is pumping your gas or you know pouring your beers can probably play circles around you uh and and will will would you know would do the gig that you want to do for 50 bucks less than you would yeah. So it, oh, there's it, always somebody that would play for free in Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a super cutthroat place, you know, unless you can form, you, unless you can form like really solid relationships with people, uh, it's really tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of went through the same thing. I wasn't looking to be a sideman. I never really found that particular uh, career path to be something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, honestly, because I, I don't think I had the chops to, to pull it off. Um, especially at that particular level for that particular, um, you know, kind of music. So being in a band was definitely much more my speed. I like the creative kind of camaraderie part of it. 
uh, which is kind of interesting because, you know, the way that things are now, I'm definitely not, uh, you know, you are the closest thing that I have to a band right now. Yeah. So, yeah. um, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to, to find like-minded people. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's really the challenge is that, you know, when you are, uh, trying to get, you know, four or five people all pointed in one direction, uh, that is the challenge. Uh, especially when money isn't, isn't happening, you know, yeah. <laughs> we, we both did the whole original music thing and, yeah. uh, to varying degrees of success, but yeah, it's, it's tough to kind of keep that stuff together. Yeah. I, uh, I went to, uh, Chris, uh, Chris is the old, the, the guy that I was in the original band with and, and I didn't forget about it, but we did an entire hot topic tour. We did do. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so it was, uh, we went up the East coast. We played, I think at a couple around here, we played town center, um, mall of Georgia, and then we spent, I spent, uh, it was the entire Labor Day week. We went up the coast to New York, actually did an interview in New York City with uh, Steve, not Steve Rickman, but the other Steve that was from 99X, Steve Craig. Yeah, yeah Steve Craig. We did, an interview, we did an interview with him up in New York and then went to Utica, New York for a music festival where we were apparently the headliner because we were the only people from out of state. Wow! So if you want to be the headliner in an, in an original rock band, just go out of state. Yeah, it. it I think I feel like it used to be that easy. Uh, I don't know if that's still quite the case. Probably not. But so you know, you when you came back from Nashville, what was your take on the whole kind of cover world? Uh, kind of coming out, coming from it from a totally different background. Kind of like your video said, you know, I've, I've been in some form of cover bands all my life. And even if I'm playing original music in Nashville, you still got to fill three hours of, of time spots. So yep. you're learning all the country stuff yep. Um, yep. or the blues, Southern rock, whatever it is. So, I mean, even playing in church, that's a cover band. Yep. You're playing something that somebody else has written. So as far as covering stuff, that was nothing new to me. What was, was getting paid for. <laughs> <laughs> coming from the original rock band and even in church where i do my stuff voluntary there yeah uh, it was just a different type of atmosphere and attitude to go hey this is a job now you know i need to really perfect my craft uh, and it really widens your perspective on music uh, yeah. you know, yes i learn things and learn songs that i don't like um, but at the end of the day, it's just three minutes of my life on stage and it's supposed to help everybody else have fun. So, and you learn to like it at some point, whether it's, you know, you, you replicate it, as you said, or you do a little bit of interpretation, like some of the songs that we've done that we've been playing for five years now, kind of have to keep them fresh. You know, it's not that we're going to do, you know, blast beats over video kill the radio star. Um, although I might on Saturday. Yeah. Now, since you brought it up, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, well, but that's a good example. So, um, of the songs that we play, especially like even starting out, like what were some that like you were just like, this is three minutes of my life that I just have to get through and get on the other side of? Well, the easy one was the Madonna medley because it's just eight minutes of playing four on the floor. Um, we, we haven't done it in a while. One of the hardest ones, um, oh man, the Phil Collins one that we did. Oh, Easy Lover. Yes. Yeah. That one was tough because there's no count in it at the beginning. Yeah. So it's not one that you think starts on the downbeat, although it does. It, it was one that I overcomplicated. 
Yeah. Once I figured it out, like I would. So I even had a friend in Nashville who was a student of Chester Thompson. I was like, hey, did you ever have to play this song? He never had to play it. So that was one that kind of stumped me for a while. Yeah, I remember having those conversations. Um, and, and actually, uh, that brings up another car- another topic. So the the way that you kind of came into this group was that, you know, you came in on recommendation, but in order for us to kind of like get this all sorted out, like I brought a bunch of stuff over to your house and like, we played through a bunch of things. In, How, in this room. <laughs> yeah, right there. How was that experience from the other end? The way that I feel is that I was I was given I wasn't I wasn't giving you a whole lot of slack uh in those moments. Um, but how did it feel coming from the other end? So well, number one, I wanted the gig. And you know, I had also gone off with what Ben had told me. And what you had told me, you know, and, yeah. and by all means, it was a cover gig. So in cover bands, you play it as like the record as you can um, to the best of your ability. Yeah. Um, so now I spent at least two hours every night for three weeks practicing. Uh, even my wife had, has never seen me practice that. Before. Uh, but I had to because these were songs that I had heard, but had never studied. Yeah. Um, in, in, in an era, in a, in a genre that I didn't typically listen to. Uh, I, I had done, I'd been in a band that did more of the rock stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which for some reason, oddly enough, I didn't care for as much. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure why being, being a rock drummer coming from that background, uh, I, I, the pop stuff was a little bit easier hmm. for me anyway. Um, the look has, has now become probably one of my favorites. The sticking point for me was when we were working on um, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, that Tears for Fear song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having that conversation about the hi-hat pattern. And yes. mm-hmm. you, I swear, the look that you gave me when I stopped the thing and, and started like spelling that one out was like mm-hmm. I had like a baby's arm growing out of my forehead. I was like, what? <laughs> Unfortunately, that was just that was just the nature of the gig. You know, we were trying yeah. to get it as tribute as tribute accurate as we could. Yeah. And for the record, out of all of the ba- other bands that I I've seen play it, like you are one of a very small handful of drummers who play that pattern correctly. Well, that's only because you told me about it, and once you told me about it, then I heard the pattern. Yeah, but to in, in you know to most drummers, they probably only hear the shuffle. They don't hear the upbeat part on that hi hat pattern. And I didn't until you pointed it out. Yeah. So the the shuffle is happening on the the kick and the snare. Yeah. The uh, the hi hat pattern is completely opposite from that. It's also not fun playing at the at the end of a four hour set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, well, we were talking about that. You know, this gig that we're we've got coming up uh, on Saturday. On that gig too. Yes, it was. <laughs> That's where we found out that we shouldn't put that one in the uh, in the fourth set. Mm-hmm. That was one of the yeah. few times where uh, a client exercised the extra hour uh, mm-hmm. clause. And so yeah. we had to like really kind of scramble and figure yeah. out what yeah, we, were call, we, we met up in, the, in the, the clubhouse bathroom and started calling audibles out. So I feel like drummers in general have, uh, have a reputation uh, for being uh, a certain kind of way uh, I know that most of the drummers that I have uh, worked with are, I don't want to say eccentric or particular, but I definitely have run into interesting characters uh, who happen to play drums. Uh, one of the things that I will say is that you are one of one of those people that lacks any sort of pretension about what it is that you do, but 
I would say that you are a little set in your ways. Would would you agree with that assessment? Um, yeah, I, I would. I mean, it, and again, I'm I'm going to join the forty club here yeah. in a couple of months. So yeah, there's there's certain, and, and I'm assuming you mean the way that I play, set in my not ways. Ne- not necessarily the way that you play. Actually, I, I find that you take direction really well. Okay. It's more about the. Um, what a drummer does and yeah. how a drummer operates mm-hmm. and what their role in the band is. Yeah. So when you first joined the group, you had this amazing uh, Pearl Masterworks kit. That, gla- mm-hmm. that glass sparkle kit yeah. looked incredible. It, yeah. it was awesome on stage. It, was, it, it looked cool. It sounded great. And I know it was like ridiculously heavy and hard to carry around. Yeah, it was all the hardware. It was actually the reference series kit, which is made to be a studio kit. Oh, okay. That is ungodly heavy. I don't know why Pearl decided to make something so heavy. Oh, yes, because people who have drum techs use those kits. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I didn't. So, yes. Yeah, so now I know where you're going about with setting your ways. Yeah. Uh, yes. Most drummers, again, it is an acoustic instrument. You grow, you grow up playing an acoustic instrument. And that's all you know. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of and, and I I used electronic drums back when Roland first came out with their beach drum kit. My church got one of the first ones ever. Mm-hmm. And I found out how heavy footed I was when I went through three of the bass drum sensors in like six months. Nice. But again, that was the first time they came out with it. So drumming is an art and it's muscle memory. So, you know, playing the guitar, somebody can probably I mean, then I can sit down on just about any drum set and play it. But I may not be able to play it well, depending on, you know, if, if, I, if I sit beside it, uh, behind an 80s drum kit, it's going to be up high and angled a lot more than the way that I play behind me. Yeah. Uh, the cymbals are going to be up higher. And I've had to do that before, but you adapt to it. Um, yeah. But, but from the band standpoint, yeah, I got really tired of loading all this crap around. Uh, it, it made setup a lot harder. It's mm-hmm. made setup a lot longer. And... I shouldn't feel as beat down as I did the day after from something that should be fun. Right. And, and just, you know, just so people know, like you were carting, you know, a, a, a drum set with a, with a rack and, mm-hmm. you know, really heavy components. Uh, and you've, you've got a pretty serious back injury that you've been dealing with the past few years. So, yeah. So six years ago, I broke my back, uh, had some, uh, pinos, Pins and rods put in there, screws and rods put in there. And a couple of years ago, got them taken out. So toting around heavy stuff uh, does wear and tear on my body. Uh, even playing sometimes does that as well. Uh, if, if we have to play for a long time, uh, you know, the four-hour gig, uh, you know, back's not feeling good the next day because then you got to load all that stuff up when you're tired. You have to unload it when you're tired and and that can that can injure yourself pretty good. So for the people looking behind me, uh, this is not the full setup that I use with members only. It's actually uh, a smaller version. I just use one rack, one floor, a couple of crashes, a ride, and a hi-hat. This is my home setup where I shoot some of my videos at, uh, and it's all on a, on a two-sided rack. So when I play out with the regular kit, I just use one rack, um, you know, I have the actual Pearl Icon rack that you can kind of see there. Um, still a simple, you know, four-piece trap kit. Uh, but again, with the old kit, it was just heavy. 
uh, even as simple as it was. The other part, you know, considering the sound situation and the gear situation was, you know, part of the reason why we opted to stop using amps uh, mm. a number of years ago. Yeah. And it was so it got down to the point where it was like, all right, well, all we all we have on stage now is live drums. Yeah. But we've definitely like we're in multiple situations where we were in a room where like live drums were not a good a good call. Yeah. Um, the the 433 Bishop in yeah. downtown Atlanta and that place that we did out it was somewhere in like East Cobb where mm -hmm. like had that the super low ceilings yeah. and yeah the part where the stage was the drum riser yep yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah and you know we were having conversations like man we 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 need to consider some sort of electric kit solution and mm -hmm. and it wasn't just like you weren't the only person who was resistant to that um you know, our Ben, the front, our front yeah. house was also like, I don't know, man, I don't think this is like a, I don't think this is the way to go. Yeah. And those conversations went on like a while. For a couple of years, at least. Yeah. Yeah. One of my biggest fears, and this is kind of where, where drummers can be set in their ways. You know, when you play an electronic rig or a kit or a rig, and I'll explain what I mean by that later. Um, what happens when the power goes out? Like, you can pick, you know, if you have an acoustic guitar, you can pick up an acoustic guitar and then I can play with some brushers or, or hot rods and we can finish out the set if we have to. Yeah. You know, if, if all else fails or we're playing out in the field somewhere and, and, and the generator runs out of gas, we can still entertain people. But yeah. with when, when, you, when you literally have a computer in front of you and the power goes out or it crashes, well... You know, now now we can't do anything. And that's whether we have amps or not as well. I mean, power goes out, you lose power, period. Yeah. So that was one of my biggest concerns. So talking about the situation with your back and the kind of gear that you were using, over time, you had kind of developed some certain techniques that were helpful to you uh, in dealing with having a hard time, w you know, with those things. So um, I know that you you do like, acupuncture and and you know some pt stuff uh mm -hmm. when your back is acting up um and then you also uh you changed your throne a couple of years yeah. ago to one mm -hmm. of the carmichael thrones i don't know if we're i don't know if we're we're endorsing carmichael thrones anymore no, we 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 are not um I, the, it's a good scene doesn't a head make one that is basically the same thing now it, and i have i have said on that but uh, the gap is not big enough mm -hmm. so to speak um it, it felt just like a rock and slide throne and can you explain what the what the purpose of that kind of throne is? It's like a regular drum seat, but then there there's a gap in the middle of it. So it, some people could call it um, <laughs> call it a hemorrhoid chair um, yeah. or, or a or a donut chair, where it it takes all the pressure off of your spine. Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people don't realize, even though rock and socks are great, um, pork pie makes every drum company makes great seats, but for people with back pain. When you sit, even as I'm sitting in this chair right now, you're putting pressure on your spine because it's pressing up against it. Uh, and what I what I found with this seat or with the head seat, as some people have found, it allows you to sit up straighter because it takes all the pressure off of you. And I actually found myself playing better. My my feet got a little faster, and I can move around the kit a lot more easier because uh, I didn't have to I didn't have to worry about my the pain that I was in or discomfort. It wasn't necessarily pain. Yeah. Like I was, you know, popping Advil at the end of the night. 
it was just kind of uncomfortable where you're just kind of fidgeting and you can't really seem to get comfortable behind it. Gotcha. So we have the the conversation and, you know, you're in the process of acquiring gear that's kind of helping you, you know, with your stamina and with your ability to to do these gigs. We're talking pre-pandemic. Correct. We are, we're, gear, we're pretty geared out. We're playing a fair amount and then things kind of shut down. So um, in 2020... I think members only played maybe like a four. handful of shows. Yeah, it was about four. Um, and of course, when we were when we had the opportunity to do those shows, we we went as full out as we could because we didn't know when we were going to get a chance to do it again. So, uh, moving into 2021, you know, we're trying. I'm trying, and you and the other guys in the group are trying to kind of maintain. Uh, a working relationship and trying to, you know, kind of keep our names out there and we're posting stuff and yeah. doing things. And we got a, um, we got a request in January. Um, this is pre vaccine, pre everything that, um, there's a, there's an event space and a, it's basically, it's a science museum in, in, uh, in Atlanta that was doing, uh, a semi indoor, semi outdoor event and they were bringing live music in. Um, and we were approached to do that. And basically where we were set up is literally in this giant brick and glass atrium, like that's like four stories tall. And they were like, live instruments are just not an option. Keep in mind, we had played there before. We had. And it was uh it was not good. <laughs> it was a little booby. Yeah. So we we knew that going into it again, that was like, there's no way we could go in with the show that we normally do. Uh, we we were going to have to come in and do something different. Had you already done gigs with the um, with Jeff's group and stuff with that kind of setup, or was this the yeah. first one? It's, so this one was the first one, and I ended up borrowing it from a cameraman at church. Because okay. um, uh, Jeff's group had some gigs going on, so I think the week of I had to scramble mm -hmm. and put something together. So I, I had <laughs> I spent a few hours with it, um, you know, during the week. Got like one one setup to sound good, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Try to do some muscle memory, figure out what's gonna what am I gonna program? Okay, let me turn the pads off, see what feels natural, uh, and then. We just went with it. For the drummers listening out there, I was set up in five minutes. I, it, it took me two trips to get in, and I'm like, am I a lead singer tonight? Hey, what's, what, what's going on here? Uh, it, and, and same thing with Taken Down. You know, um, you know it's, and we'll talk, about, we'll, we'll talk about the pros and cons here in a minute. But for that particular show, once we got done with that show, I knew exactly what I was going to do. So what were you going to do? I had to sell a bunch of crap. <laughs> <laughs> so it well and it was also a want versus a need you know like i had three drum sets i was only using one of them really you know yeah. the, um the, the two if you count well you know the reference kit here the vintage kit i wasn't really using so um i'm gonna go ahead and get into this session real quick so i sold all three of my drum sets mm. um and some cymbals and then some hardware as well, because I had enough to have at least two full drum sets set up in here. Because at one point I was I was doing lessons and I wanted to be able to have that option. Well, at that point, that wasn't happening. Yeah. 
But I, I just kind of had a dose of reality and said, okay, I need one acoustic kit and I need to get this e-rig. That's all that I need. Mm-hmm. So I sold all that. Uh, and then for the for the drummers out there or band leaders that maybe want to think about getting this stuff for you know uh, their band um, or one of their drummers, uh, the rig that I have it's a Roland Octopad, and I've got just a, your basic uh, kick pedal or yeah, kick sensor, hi hat pedal, and then I have a snare pad. And to clarify, that's the uh, the Roland SPD thirty. The standard Roland Octopad. They they make a couple ones, but the the SPD thirty was the one that you went with. Okay, yeah, the, because I have the SPD X, uh, which is different. So the Octa, so the SPD X has three pads, three pads, and three pads. Where mine is just four and four. Mm-hmm. So again, Octa. So I'll just fast forward. The entire rig that I have only cost me nine hundred and seventy five bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, for some people, that may seem like a lot, but when you compare that to the Roland V drums that we were looking at, you're talking about fifteen to three thousand dollars with you know the new acoustic-looking electronic kits that that just came out with. Yeah. So that's the reason I call this an e-rig because mm-hmm. it is not a kit. Yeah. It's in the in the sense of I don't have a crash it. I, I don't have the muscle memory of an actual drum set. And the more I thought about it, the more I didn't want that because that defeats the purpose of easing setup time, you know, easing my loading, my loadout. You know, I don't put anything in the bed of my truck anymore. Yeah. And I take this e-rig, everything fits in inside the cab. So if you have, you know, a Toyota Prius or you've got just even a car, you can keep the stuff in your trunk at all times and it is ready to go. Somebody calls you and says, hey, can you come play a gig tonight? Now you're ready to go. Yeah. So from the price point, nine hundred and seventy-five bucks. Well, with all the gear that I offloaded and, and, and some other connections that I made to get the kit behind me, um, I still walked away with a thousand bucks. Yeah. And so I still made money out of all of that. But there, there was a determination that I had of this is what I wanted, and I'm going to do what I need to do to get it. I didn't say, well, I'm going to keep all of my gear. I'm going to be a hoarder, and I'm keeping all that. I said, you know what? I need to offload this. I don't need it. And if I ever do, then I'll play enough shows to buy it again if I have to. But I'm not using it. It's sitting here collecting dust. I'm playing musical drum sets, just trying to play them once a quarter. Um, so I, I, I made a logical decision for for my future above all, and then just the future of, of whatever group I'm playing with um, to buy this this rig. Uh, and there's some stuff that I'm going to add more to it. Uh, for anybody that's seriously looking to get this, the snare pad that I got uh, was a PDX8. It's an eight-inch snare pad. I recommend a ten-inch or larger because it, it just doesn't have the the surface area that I wanted. But again, I was still on a budget because at that point I didn't know when I was going to sell the gear because again, this isn't a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's buying stuff. So except for me. So I'm looking to buy stuff. Who can the business picks up? Yep. And with the price point that I have, three gigs pays for it, mm-hmm. if that. You know, and on top of that, I've, I've it, it's gotten me more gigs uh, than it has not. Uh, so so far this year, I have played twelve gigs. Of those twelve, only two have been with a full kit. Everything else has been with this e-rig. It's wild. Yep. 
So it 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 is definitely worth it. If you'd have told me last year this is what I was going to do, you were crazy. Yeah, the whole concept of this kind of setup. I mean, you you were fighting it tooth and nail. Oh, I was. There has been a a like a deluge of drum companies who are making digital drums that look like acoustic drums. Mm-hmm. And you made a you made a really good point about that doesn't really solve the problem that we were necessarily looking to solve completely. Yeah. It solves one of them, which mm-hmm. is uh we need something that doesn't make a whole bunch of noise, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make anybody's life any easier. Right. You know, you're still having to set it up and mix it the same way that you would an acoustic set. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, from from our end, being an 80s band, uh, making something super high tech look super old doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. If anything, the the 80 like the 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 Octopad being like the main thing actually Mm -hmm. increases the, you know, the user experience for the for the audience because it looks more you know, true to yeah. what we were trying to go for. So, well, and, and I, I have the white one um, yep. that, that just makes it look more eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they make a white one and a black one. Uh, and oddly enough, at that time, the white one is the only one I could find. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and it, it, it works good for what I needed to do and for what we needed to do. Yep. Um, you know, I, it, again, we say we're an eighties band, but there are so many different kit options that I haven't even, tapped into yet mainly because i just don't have time to sit down you know and, and this isn't my my day job so to speak uh, but you have so many more possibilities and on top of that when we do play a full show like we have in kingsport and uh, the other show that we did i still had it off to the side mm-hmm. so i was still able to bring in that 80s element you know with this with the snare sounds or uh, the hand claps uh, or any other option that you want to have you know, if you want to have extra symbols or you want to have a, a one rack and one four, but you want to have some rototoms over here, mm-hmm. you've got that option. It, 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 and it doesn't really take up any more setup space than you already have. Yeah. Now, that was the other reason you mentioned why I went with this electronic rig is space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can set up on the back of my patio with the band and play. Yep. And not take up much space at all. So if you, even if you went the V drum route, or the new, you know, acoustic kits that they have out that are electronic. You're not saving any space. You're not saving any time. You still got to load it up. You still got to put it somewhere. You know, I want to make this as easy on me and my back and and my health as possible. Yeah. You know, it, uh, what shocked me the most after the first time I used that rig was I was not tired the next day. Mm-hmm. Like my my body was not worn out just from having to move around a lot. I stayed like literally in one spot and just kind of move my wrist around a little bit mm-hmm. it wasn't wasn't that hard it was funny for for me from the other side i i want credit for not rubbing it in your face how much you loved it after you actually went through it i know <laughs> I, I, no, I you were right because you you wanted me to do that for so long i didn't so. i didn't say anything but i could see it oh, yeah. he was set up before i was and that was all I needed to do. I was like, I think he's gonna he's gonna dig this. And then you were also the first one to load out. Like we were still yeah. like wrapping cables up, and you were already in your truck. I was like, yeah. yeah, I think I think I think he's hooked. I think that's all. Yeah. I think that's all she wrote. So yeah. So what that can also do, and this is for the person who wants to play in multiple bands. You know, whether it's two bands, five bands. You know, I, I know drummers who play in who do more than what I do. 
having a rig like this, if if you're in a band that will allow it, and and I mean that as lighthearted as I can, because I know some bands they don't want any type of electronic drums at all, and that's fine. You know, th- okay. this rig, this idea, it's not for everybody. But for the person who wants to play a gig from twelve to three o'clock or twelve to four o'clock, and then have to be at another gig in a couple hours. This is how you make that happen. This yep. is how you can do two gigs in one day because you're going to pack up your stuff. You're going to be in the car in less than 15 minutes heading to wherever your next gig is. Yep. You nailed it. That's It's the it's the same reason why uh, I offloaded the full-size Helix for the stomp yeah. rig uh, and the reason why the orange that's sitting over my shoulder sits over my shoulder and nowhere else. Uh, yeah. It's just... You're 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 basically just reducing the amount of stuff you've got to haul, uh, yeah. which makes all of this a lot easier. Or at least for you, it does because I'm still carrying the entire PA with me. But yeah. that is neither here nor there. Yeah. So the other thing that we haven't talked about from a health standpoint is hearing. Yep. This saves your hearing because now there is no longer any stage volume. Mm-hmm. So and that was tough for me to deal with when you guys went ampless because I didn't have you guys in my mix because the amps are right beside me. Yeah. So I don't need to have that. So then I was like, okay, well, I got to pump you guys up in the mix. Well, even then I'm still fighting with my volume of the kit that's in front of me. Right. Um, you know, and if you're at an outside festival like Kings Court, that's, you know, a huge stage, it's not really going to matter. But when you're playing at a place like 433, mm-hmm. that's a concrete floor, um, or like the place that we're going to play it on Saturday. Yeah, you know, at that point, it is literally like turning the volume up on your phone. Mm-hmm. That that is all you're doing. So, from a hearing standpoint, you're going to save your ears. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to doing the this gig on Saturday with this kit because we've never done it this way before, mm-hmm. and right. it, it would be a great compare and contrast. Now, the other thing that was was kind of cool is that you know we have had the opportunity to do shows that we wouldn't normally be able to do in places we wouldn't normally be able to do them. Um, yeah. That private event that we did for. Um, Buckhead Church was a great example of that. You know, yeah. We were supposed to play outside and the weather was just not cooperating. So we yeah. ended up being able to go into the tap room, set up fully. The only thing we, we kind of compromised with is that we, we had an, you're using an acoustic kick for some of these yeah. gigs. Yeah. And, um, it's cool though, because it gives it kind of a, a different atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. It does, it's, it's moving some air, uh, but mm-hmm. it's not outrageous. And it, Correct. It it brings a little energy to what's going on on stage, and it looks really cool. I think it it complements you know the vibe that we're going for, but it it's still like perfectly comfortable. We had people sitting at tables less than you know fifteen feet from the mains, mm-hmm. holding conversations, not like the where you're like screaming into somebody's ear while they're yeah. no, they were just they were perfectly fine, and we were like, I mean, we were blasting as far as we were we were concerned. Um, yeah. And it was great. And everybody was super, super happy to have live music in a room that wasn't obnoxious. Yeah. Because I remember as we were setting up, there was like a couple of people that were like, ooh, we're going to have to go outside. These guys are going to be re- going to be way too loud. Mm-hmm. And then I saw them like 15 minutes later. They were standing right in front and yeah. weren't bothered at all. Well, and, and that's the key thing is, I know that's why you wanted to get have me get the rig. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other reason I also wanted to get the rig is for that purpose of, Look at the market in your area, you know, and this is, you know, there's some bands around Atlanta, you know, that have, that have E-rigs. 
that do this. But if you're in a cover band and nobody else has a rig like this, I dare you to change because you may be getting a lot more gigs than you think you are, you know, because people are going to be able, like you said, they're going to be able to hold a conversation. They're going to hear you and not be able to hear you on stage. Uh, you know, I heard a story of somebody at a gig was complaining of not our gig, um, Jeff's gig. They were complaining about how loud the music was. And he finally handed them the iPad and said, here's the volume button. You control it. And they did. The, the client set the volume. So I feel like we're going to get a lot more callbacks from people, or maybe that's going to create a different buzz about us of, hey, you know, here's a band that puts on a good show. But guess what? They can we can literally play anywhere now. Yep. You know, it, it is a complete game changer. And and for me, if I have any remorse, I just hate that I waited so late to do this because you got to stay ahead of the curve. Yep. And I, I think this could have helped us, you know, a long time ago in getting these callbacks. And again, as you guys can see behind me, I still have the real thing. We still use it. I still love playing this. I'm not completely electronic now um you know so i i have no regrets of, of making that decision and i think that is actually where the market is heading and if if the rest of your band does not use amps on stage again take it from somebody who went kicking and screaming don't wait to do this go ahead and do what you need to do if you're worried about making money back you will it, it may not happen right away it's it's a calculated risk. You know, I, I had to risk buying this rig and not selling anything because nobody may have wanted the gear that I had to sell. Uh, but fortunately, people did. So the thing that's important to kind of consider with these kinds of decisions is that you need to look at your gear like a toolbox. So you've got your hammer and you've got your screwdriver and you've got your drill and some jobs require some tools and other jobs require other tools. So in this case, you have a brand new drill that mm -hmm. is good for a lot of what we are normally doing. And it doesn't mean that you sell everything else and that you only use the drill. It's just one of your options. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for, for guys who are hesitant or guys who are kind of gun shy about making these kinds of decisions, Think about it that way. From a, from a guitar player standpoint, you know, I've got this Explorer, there's a Telecaster behind me, I've got a Strat over there. You know, they're just different things for different gigs. Like, we, we just understand that, you know, to do certain kinds of work, you need certain kinds of things or certain kinds of gear. There's, this is no different. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, the same it, idea as having like, you know, the, the snare wall. I know that's like the Instagram like thing is that like, you got to have the snare yeah. wall. Um, this is like having a snare wall, but it's, it's this big and it costs, you know, about what two snares cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the same argument with the, with the line six stuff is that, you know, it costs less than any of the boutique stuff that they're, you know, modeling mm -hmm. and, you know, you can use them however you want to. So yeah, the whole digital thing is something that like we we as a as a band are still kind of treading into, but like I, there's stuff that we want to try. You know, we were we've talked about you know adding custom samples and adding mm -hmm. um, you know more doodads mm -hmm. uh, to the kit to kind of make it look more uh, authoritative on stage. Yeah. Um, and then you know you also have the the idea where you can run. Uh, 
samplers uh, via USB and just use the Octopad as a controller so mm-hmm. you can improve the sound quality or maybe the um, the overall performance quality of the drum kits. I know, you know, the the one of the short one of the shortcomings of these kinds of units is the uh, the sample triggering mm-hmm. in that when you hit the snare two three times in a row it's you're hitting you're hearing that same sample every single time you hit it yeah you know with grooves and things it's it's very very difficult to discern whether it's samples or not but there are going to be times where i think the term is machine gunning you're going to hear like the same thing just hit over and over and over again yeah yeah um and and some of these plugins like i've got uh abbey road modern drums and the logic drum kit designer is really good about alternating and kind of intelligently triggering different samples every time a certain drum is hit so that it's more lifelike, more, you know, mm-hmm. more humanized, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you've, you've heard the kit that I, that you rig. Yeah. There, there's really good sounds on there, but you know, for somebody who just goes into, you know, a guitar center or a Sam Ash and you're just hitting on it like, man, this thing sucks. Like it is still an electronic rig. You have to go in, you have, there are so many different options you can do on that, whether it's reverb, it's just like a regular kit where you can tune and muffle each individual drum. So, uh, you know, it's it's funny, we, we, whatever PA we were playing through one time, I hit the, the, the four tom pad and it literally rumbled like a four tom. So I had to go in and put moon gel on it and muffle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so, So you still have the acoustic problems on the electronic rig. But it's it's taken a couple of months to really dial it in. And there's things you have to do on the fly, depending on the room that you're playing in, or if you're not playing through your own PA, mm-hmm. um, or you may have a different sound guy, you have to adjust things on the fly. And, and luckily, once you know how to do it, it, it's easy. So that was my biggest fear is this is an electronic item. I'm not really good at that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not tech savvy, so to speak. So... You know, I had to do some YouTube watching. I had to, you know, talk to some people. Uh, you know, one of the guys that sold me uh, some of the gear that that I use now, uh, he's very big in electronics. So I was having some issues, and I emailed him, and he, he helped walk me through that. So there's somebody else out there that knows how to do it better than I do, but I still had to seek help with it because it's like the first time I ever looked at a computer. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, so I had to find to find people who did, and they guided me through that. Now. You know, if we're playing a show and, and we're going to play Friends in Low Places, okay, well, give me 30 seconds so I can put that rim click up there so I can do that. Yep. You know, it, it's it's cool. Even uh, but when we go from we go from Kiss to, um, I was song to do after that. Don't forget about me. Yeah. So I literally have to, after I hit that snare hit, I've got to press that set button because I'm going from the 80s kit back to the other kit. Yeah. But that's the thing that you can do that you can't do with regular kit. You can play the certain sounds that you want to have. So right now I've got three kits on my e-rig. I've got what I just call an acoustic kit. Mm-hmm. I've got the 80s kit. And then I've got my arena rock kit. So when we do pour some sugar on me, it's already got all of that stadium reverb already on it. So yeah. I'm really making the sound guy's job a little bit easier because he doesn't have to add any of that. Yeah, I've, I've created my own sounds. You know, like I said, the only thing you may have to do is, is is change the levels or the sensitivity on that rig, so that way 
the kick comes out a little bit harder or, you know, hey, in this room, the crashes are a little bit too loud. So you need to just change the volumes on those individually. Yeah. And I mean, you've already gotten feedback from guys who have played with other guys who use this kind of rig that Mm -hmm. your setup sounds better than any of the other guys who do it because you actually went to the trouble of making it sound better. Yeah. But just like you said, just like, well, this is kit 74 and it's close enough and, you know, Mm -hmm. two, three, four, you know. So, you know, the, 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 the give a damn matters. Mm-hmm. It's not just a matter of, you know, making the step. You do have to go in and dial these things in. And, you know, funny, funny enough, the, the YouTube video that we're dropping tomorrow is a walkthrough of my HX stomp presets for, okay. so yeah. it's, it's very, very timely that we were having this conversation. Cause I literally just walked through that whole thing. That video is actually ready to be launched tomorrow morning. So. Nice. Well, um, Nathan, I just wanted to thank you again for hanging out with me uh, for two nights in a row uh, since you were over at the house yesterday for rehearsal uh, to come over and uh, t- or to hop onto a call and uh, and have a conversation. Uh, for anybody, uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or find out what you uh, have going on, what's the best way they can uh, find you? So my YouTube, Gmail, and Instagram are all Nate the Drummer eighty one. Drop me a line if you have any questions about my rig um, i actually have a, uh, a spreadsheet set up of of my current rig the prices i paid for them so it, you know i can break it down even then uh, if you'd like uh, and i can walk you through the process you know mentally <laughs> of, of what i did to kind of prepare for this um and then we haven't had time to talk a lot about it but i mean i can share more of the pros and cons of of, of having this rig um, whether it's just the, each individual gig, the load in, the load out, um, you know, I'd be more than happy to, to share that information with anybody that, that is willing to listen. Man, thanks again for uh, for hopping on. Uh, always good to see you. And what I'll see you. I won't see so you tomorrow. I'll see you on Saturday. Yep, the, the day after tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be a good one. We've got a we've got a really cool we got a cool bass bass player filling in with us. Yeah. Female Berkeley grad who is uh, a left-handed bass player who plays a left-handed bass, but tuned and strung upside down. Yep. So it's a left-handed bass strung like a right-handed bass played left-handed. Yeah. It's wild. Funny. When she says she went to Berkeley, I said, well, I went to the poor man's Berkeley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm stoked on this gig. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Once again, you're, you're the best. Take care. Well, thank you. See you, bud. And that's how you rock more and suck less. Hey listener, this is Adam Moskowitz of the Van Band out of South Florida. Yes, another Adam. Adams are taking over the cover band scene. Get used to it. Sorry, Dan. On behalf of Cover Band Confidential, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Now I know you want to support this cast, so this is how you do it. You subscribe, you leave a five-star review, you share this episode with your musician friends, and you throw a screenshot on your story. And you go ahead and you follow the podcast on all their socials. You got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all of them. These gentlemen, Adam Johnson of Members Only and Dan Ray of the Clinky Lincolns, have graciously given us vast amounts of great content. So as a thank you, go ahead and send them some green energy on their Patreon page. For real, send them some digital coins. And when you do that, you'll get access to the Slack back channel, which is just musicians and band leaders chatting about the craft of being in a performing cover band. Who wins? The losses. 
the behind the scenes goodness. If you play at least once a month for money, all I'm saying is break off a few bucks for your favorite podcast that you always listen to. Any questions, comments, hit up the Facebook group, send a text or voicemail to their hotline. That's 404-491-0910. You can also email coverbandconfidential at gmail.com. If you'd like, you can find my band on Instagram, Facebook, at VAMBAND. That's V-A-M BAND. Do it. Seriously, I want to see that CBC bump. Or you can find everything you need at VAMBAND.com. We started in 2019. We play funk, pop, soul, R&B, Motown, and Southeast Florida. I play guitar and bag of vocals at Adam Moskowitz Music on IG. Also follow the CBC host on IG. That's at Adam Patrick Johnson and at Dan Ray Musician. Or visit CoverBandConfidential.com for all the goods. I'm going to go ahead and call it. For Adam Moskowitz in Boca Raton, Florida, that was your outro bumper on CoverBand Confidential. Always be performing! (laughs) 